Hey, listeners, just a reminder that the history of everything sex is for mature audiences, so listen with discretion. And don't forget, we're ready for suggestions, ideas, stories, whatever you want to tell us. Just email us at thehistoryofsexpod at gmail.com. Thanks! Would you like to say you're welcome? I will. Welcome to the history of everything sucks. I am Melinda. I'm Terry. And we are diving into the wonderful world of gonorrhea today. Oh, gonorrhea. Isn't that fun? It, you know, I've, here it's not. It's, I'm sure it's not. I, I can only assume that it's not. Right. Um, it is, however, the second most common sexually transmitted infection in the world behind only chlamydia. Mm-hmm. In 2020, in the United States, there were 677,769 cases of gonorrhea reported in the United States. I think somebody fudged that number. I think there were like 768 and they're like, come on, man, just put come a nine. On. It's, it's yeah. got to be 69. It's got to be 69. Yeah. Well, that's the official report. Yeah. Now we all know that 2020 was a dumpster fire. So yes. all the stats from that year are a bit questionable. According to the CDC, and I, I thought this was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So the first couple of months of 2020, it had a higher number of positive gonorrhea results than early 2019. However, of course, COVID popped up and people were confined to their homes. So in March and April of 2020, the number of cases plummeted. And this was mostly caused by the sudden cessation of clinics testing non-symptomatic people. Um, Health centers that did stay open during the lockdown were only seeing patients that were having problems or symptoms. And Mm -hmm. even then, many were just treating based on symptoms rather than testing them at all. Gotcha. Also, the people that were in charge of gathering information on STIs were repurposed to track COVID cases. So they assumed that a lot of data was just kind of disregarded or just not collected because that just wasn't very important right then. Mm -hmm. Social distancing, increased loss of jobs, loss of health insurance, all of those things likely contributed to less testing and therefore less positive cases. However... Once the shelter-in-place order was lifted, the number of positive gonorrhea results went right back up. I the bet. Per- right. The percent of tests that had positive results were even higher because some clinicians still were only testing patients that had symptoms. So the overall number of gonorrhea infections rose um, as patients without symptoms were not being tested. So they're just out there sleeping around, spreading the infection, not knowing that they have the infection because they didn't have symptoms. So nobody was doing the testing. So they're just spreading it. So as people were able to start getting screened, meaning tested when they don't have any symptoms, Mm -hmm. it was all of a sudden like, oh, heck, we have so many gonorrheas. So lots and lots. Mm -hmm. Overall, the number of gonorrhea infections in 2020 was 10% 10% higher than 2019, Ooh. even with the lockdown. So yeah. 
yeah. So um, you would think like, oh, social distancing. Finally, we're going to give these damn STDs a break. Not so much. Not so much. Right. So, I mean, we've all heard of gonorrhea. And I think most people know that it's a sexually transmitted infection. But let's get just a little bit nerdy and talk about the infection in more detail. Okay. Now, I'm a nerd, but I tried to break this down and kind of write it in a funner way. Funner. I don't know if funner is a word, but funner. I, per- sure I, love, the word. I love the word funner. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's not too like, what is she even talking about? I mean, right. not that it, I mean, I'm sure most of our listeners are pretty smart anyway, but. Right, exactly. So, so gonorrhea is a bacterial infection and it's caused by the bacteria Neisseria gonorrhoeae, gonorrhoeae, right? Gonorrhoeae. Gonorrhoeae. Uh, this particular organism can only affect humans. So this isn't something that we got from the bats or. Okay or rodents or anything like that. It's all us. The bacteria themselves have little hair-like pili that help it move and help it attach to cells. Mm -hmm. So what happens is the bacteria are in, let's say, semen. So a guy has gonorrhea in his semen and he has sex with a female. This is just an example. And when the gonococcal bacteria goes into the vagina, it latches onto the epithelial or surface cells of the vaginal walls and it crawls into the cell and starts fucking it up. Just literally wreaking havoc. Yeah. Yes. It replicates itself. This is when the infection starts like officially, officially you now have an infection because the cells have been taken over. Now, the taking over of the human cells is also what alerts the immune system that there's an intruder that has breached the environment and the white blood cells are deployed. Mm -hmm. So the white blood cells, also called leukocytes, they rush to the scene ready to kick some ass. Okay. So the body's white blood cells kill the infected epithelial cells, which is kind of like in the zombie movies where People kill people who are now zombies, like, dude, sorry, I have to kill you, but it's like you or me. And right, right, right. I know technically you're the one one causing the problem. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I hate it when I have to do that. You know, it's it just (laughs) makes you just feel a little bad, but not so bad that you don't keep doing it. Right. Greater good. Right. The white (laughs) blood cells are microscopic, of course, but when a whole army of them show up, it really gets crowded. And Mm -hmm. this is what's known as inflammation. Hmm. So when the vaginal walls are inflamed, the owner of the vagina senses discomfort or pain. And people with vaginas can also get some of the bacteria in their urethra. Mm. Yes. So whether the infected person has a penis or a vagina, the urethral inflammation causes burning, especially when peeing. Also, as the white blood cells and the gonorrhea fight it out, and there's a bunch of casualties, all those dead cells and broken pieces of cells and everything, that all has to come out. And that's what takes the form of pus or discharge from the urethra or the vagina. Okay. So it's the losers of the fights coming out. Yeah. Is what we go, oh, that's so gross. And it's like, it's gross, but it's it's gross, but it's a good thing that it's coming out. Did not know that. That's. I've seen it. You've seen it and just thought, ooh, that's gross. Yes. I've seen it in a medical setting, I should say. There, there you go. <laughs> Please, thank you. Yeah. Uh, 
so gonococcal bacteria are pretty mobile with those little pili hairs of theirs. So they can travel up the vagina to the cervix, through the cervix, which is the opening to the uterus, into the uterus, and then out the fallopian tubes. I mean, it can like, it's packed. It can eggs. really go. It's, it's gone. Mm-hmm. From the fallopian tubes, it can bleed out into the abdomen. When the, uh, exactly. When the infection travels past the cervix, it's called pelvic inflammatory disease or PID. Yes. And that causes much more severe symptoms like cramping, pain with sex, and irregular bleeding. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, gonorrhea can also infect the rectum and the throat. Gotcha. Yeah. Bad news, Betty, right here. Right. So, that okay. which also sounds painful in both of those spots. Exactly. And not very sexy if I just have to nope. say that myself. <laughs> no. So enough about the gonorrhea, what the gonorrhea is. Let's talk about the history of this fun little organism. So here's a rundown of some very early references to what is believed to have been gonorrhea. In the Old Testament, I say, (laughs) in, in Leviticus, it says, quote, when any man hath an issue of seed, which is also translated to a running discharge, because of his issue, he is unclean. You think? Mm, yeah, think? Oh, slightly. I, I'd agree. Around 400 BC, Hippocrates discussed stangory. That's a, a word, stangory, which he said resulted from the pleasures of Venus, of course, like so did so- syphilis. Yeah. And apparently stangory is the slow, painful passing of urine drop by drop. Uh, angry is angry. Yeah. And you know what? I ain't got time for that. No. Like I, I got to get in there. I got to go and I got to get back to work or get back yeah. to what I was doing. I, I don't have time to drop by drop my urine. Not drop by drop. No. I would just have to put on a diaper and get Something. it moving. Mm-hmm. Between 100 BC and 40 BC, I guess Roman soldiers who were warring with Julius Caesar suffered from gonorrhea. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they know all that, but they do. Mm-hmm. Then in 25 BC or so, Roman gentleman, Aulus Celsus, mentioned men complaining of excessive flow of seed. They always say yeah. seed because, you know, at the time, that's how you made babies. So Right, so they call it a seed. Exactly. So. They were, uh, let's see, complaining of excessive flow of seed occurring without sexual intercourse and without nocturnal imaginings. So that over time, the sufferer is consumed by wasting. So in other words, he's describing men ejaculating or at least losing semen, even when they aren't being sexual or having wet dreams, you know, because in those instances, you expect the guy to have to come. Right, right, right. But when they're not having sex or doing something sexual and they're not having their wet dreams, that shouldn't be coming out. They shouldn't have the drippy dick. Exactly. That's what you're saying. Uh, It's exactly what I'm saying. So they knew something was wrong. Yeah. And then I keep finding this apparently in 1161. So, I mean, this is a lot more modern than 25 BC. Yeah. So in 1161, an English law was enacted to prevent infecting others with, quote, the perilous infirmity of burning. Mm. Um, But I couldn't actually find the law. So I'm like, what does that even mean? Like you would be put in jail if you had burning and you had sex with someone or, you know, it was just right, right, real, right. 
whatever. So apparently there was a law, but that's all I got for you. Okay. Okay. So interestingly, it wasn't until 1838 that someone named Felipe Record, I just, I don't know if it's Record or just Record, Record, finally proved that syphilis and gonorrhea were two different diseases. Hmm. Everybody had just assumed you have a disease and they, whether it was syphilis or gonorrhea, they just, it, they put it all in a big bunch until 1838. Right. It was Greek physician Galen who coined the term gonorrhea, which comes from gano, which means seed and rhea, which means flow. Hmm. Basically, it was always assumed that it was semen that was escaping, not discharge or pus. It was also referred to as the clap. But there are three different theories as to why it was called the clap. Okay. I kn- I've heard of one theory. But so I tell me what you true. know. I heard that um, when someone had a drippy dick, they would go to the doctor or medicine man or <laughs> apothecary. Is mm-hmm. that a word? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody. And the treatment would be to clap your penis in between two books yes or in a book like clap it shut exactly or even like lay it on the table and like smack it with something yeah Yeah. so yes you're absolutely right that is one of the three reasons that they kind of attribute the name the clap to it the other two are um one of the main symptoms initially of gonorrhea it was described as a clapping sensation inside the urethra. Clapping. I mean, okay. I don't know. I, I, that's weird to me. I'd be like, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think it's a clapping sound though. Not like there's applause coming from your, no, 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 no. <laughs> from your genitals. <laughs> round you of know applause, how many everyone. guys were like, she, Right. A round of applause. <laughs> yeah, it was more a clapping sensation. That's so, what I, I meant, kind of like, but it made I a sound. If, I wonder if that means like a spasm. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I it could know. be that. I don't know. I don't, I've never had it. I really, truly haven't. But I don't mm-hmm. know that I would have come up with the word clapping. You know, like when I've had a UTI, I never said shit's clapping down there. Right, 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 So right. Anyway, maybe Spas- that was just I guess spasm probably is. Yeah. Is, is a good good way to you got the spasm you got a spasm you got a spasm in your jimmy (laughs) (laughs) a third idea we've covered two now yep is that the name the clap started because french brothels were called les clapiers which crazily means rabbit huts oh Hmm. interestingly it was also believed that women were the infectors and men were the victims well, of course. Uh huh. Because women's insides are warm and wet, which they are, and therefore they could house and nourish the disease while waiting to impart the demon seed on any deserving fellow that came along. Got you. Well, here's yes. the thing, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, inside a penis is probably warm and wet as well. You would think, but nobody's yeah. like, really been there. So, been there, I guess. right, to know. Mm-hmm. And you know it's the men who come up with all these this stuff. So of course, of course. You know. Yeah. I mean, guess what? They may have got it from Le Clapier. That's right. But guess I, what? That uh, worker probably got it from somebody that 
obviously got it from somebody who came in. So exactly, uh, exactly. Them, bump. them rabbit huts are not one way doors. No, right. So not. we women, we're just like women of like weapons of mass destruction, just waiting to take all the exactly. men down. With we're our, just taking you down. With our what warm, about? Um, <laughs> I feel like so. I feel like um, people always think that um, when someone says the clap. They're talking about chlamydia, and I guess it kind of makes sense because of I, the "claw" sound. I always thought that. It, mm. It's been, not always, but I mean, I don't feel like <laughs> it's been that long since I learned that it was actually gonorrhea, and I don't know how, I don't remember what the conversation uh-huh. was, but I was like, oh, I just figured chlamydia, the clap. I, right, sure. But, so, yeah, so I, yeah, I wouldn't fault anyone for that. Mm-hmm. No, no, um, no. Now, gonorrhea has also been called the dose. Huh. The strain and the drip okay the drip i've heard the drip that's i've heard the drip yeah that's like right now i think they call it that now let me introduce you to a man named albert ludwig sigsmund nicer okay that's a big name for a fella albert albert was born on january 22nd 1855 in the german state of prussia which is not a place anymore but it was at the time his father was Moritz Nicer, a physician, and Albert's mom passed away shortly after he was born. Mm. So his dad found him a good old stepmom who raised him. Albert must have been pretty smart because he got his medical license in 1877 at just 22 years old. So like Doogie Hauser going on here. Mm-hmm. He hoped to do his residency in internal medicine. But there weren't any spots left. So old Albert settled for a residency in dermatology and venerology. Mm. So you learn about skin and STDs. Okay. Okay. We'll just, we'll just let that go. In 1879, Albert Nicer, 24, identified a common infectious agent in 35 people with gonorrhea. By 1882, he was able to document a very clear description of the bacteria, which he called a gonococcus, because we already knew, you know, they were calling it gonorrhea already. So he found the bacteria that caused it. He called it gonococcus. Pretty, pretty good jump there. Mm -hmm. Before this, only two illnesses. This is so crazy. Only two illnesses had been classified as being caused by bacteria anthrax since 1850 and relapsing fever since 1868 Hmm. so this whole idea of sickness being caused by a bacteria was was pretty darn new at this time Mm -hmm. so gonorrhea was the third that they knew for sure was an infection caused by a bacteria after nicer published his findings lisa cow in 1882 and bum in 1885, were able to (laughs) grow the bacteria in their labs. And Bum was even able to produce the drip from a guy after putting the bacteria in his urethra. Oh, I would not have signed up to volunteer for that job. No, no. You'd be paying me a lot of shekels. You know what? Shekels. (laughs) I need some gold and silver for this shit. Right. (laughs) So by 1888, 54% of patients hospitalized due to a venereal disease were diagnosed with gonorrhea. Considering that at the time, a person with gonorrhea typically spent a month in the hospital. Yikes. Gonorrhea was proving to be a very expensive infection. Mm -hmm. 
Now, before we get to the treatments that have been used over the years, I just want to finish telling you about Albert Neisser. Okay. For example, in 1890, Albert wrote this about prostitutes. Quote, much more is achieved when one recognizes that one is always dealing with sick people, sick not only in the physical, but frequently also in the psychological sense, and very frequently with people who are not automatically detestable, but rather are to be pitied and in need of help. Hmm. What a forward thinker. Yeah, it's interesting. Because, yeah. you know, prostitutes certainly weren't given very much pity at the time. Right, right, right. Late in the 1890s, Nicer became more of a public health conscious doctor, and he said this, with the enormous distribution of the disease, talking about gonorrhea, and mm-hmm. its severe complications, everyone must feel that it is high time to sound a warning on the matter. Gonorrhea is a social danger for the people and requires the most careful attention from the authorities who are responsible for the public health. Hmm. You go, you tell him. Right. He's like, y'all need to get your ass in gear. Yeah, get to the bottom of this. In 1902, Nicer opened the German Society for Combating Venereal Disease. In his quest to find a prevention for syphilis, because he, you know, he worked on both, not mm-hmm. strictly gonorrhea. Uh, Albert experimented with the blood from patients with late stage syphilis. He <laughs> removed the bacteria from their blood, then injected that blood into four women who were in the hospital with gonorrhea. None of the four developed symptoms of syphilis. So they had gonorrhea. He gave them the bacteria-free blood from a syphilis guy or a person, and they didn't get syphilis. So he's like, aha, it has worked. Mm -hmm. So Al was feeling pretty righteous. He took his little bacteria-free blood and infused it into four prostitutes, ages 17 to 20, Mm. All four soon exhibited symptoms of secondary syphilis. Huh. Yeah. So Al was like, well, that was a swing and a miss. Right. Yeah. So in March of 1890, Albert was being investigated for failing to get proper consent from his victims. I mean, subjects. Albert was a gasp. He said, quote, the possibility that the IV infusion might have been injurious cannot be absolutely denied. I, of course, am entirely convinced that these prostitutes were infected in another normal way. So, you know, we were giving giving them all these props for being, not pitying the prostitutes. And now he's like, yeah, but you know, these hoes are out there just getting- Yeah, they probably had it anyways. Yeah, he's like, I should have picked some different uh, victims. (laughs) So he was found guilty and he was fined 300 mark, but his medical license wasn't affected. Nicer ended up passing away in 1916 at age 61. So that's, that's Dr. Nicer. Mm-hmm. Now, gonorrhea is a really slippery little asshole. And to this day, treating <laughs> the infection has been really tricky. We already mentioned the torturous slamming of the penis to get rid of the infected seed, which wasn't really going to cure it, as we know. Right. In the 16th century, guess what they were using? Oh, wait. Uh, what are those things? Leeches. We're getting there. Yes. Okay. But this is mercury. Ah, mercury. Good old mercury. Good old mercury. <laughs> the mercury was injected right into the urethra of men. Mm. And I 
can't imagine that that was a good time. Mm-mm. In the 18th century, treatment was determined by symptoms. Here we get to your leeches. So Mm -hmm. for those with mild symptoms, a diet of bland fluids was prescribed. They're like, drink you some broth, drink some water, nothing spicy. Try the brat diet. (laughs) (laughs) Let her rip. For for those with more severe symptoms, treatment ranged from blood-sucking leeches to... Mm -hmm flushing the urethra with very hot water for two to three straight days. In these cases, doctors felt that the more uncomfortable the patient was, the better it was working. Oh, gosh. So hot water into the penis. I'm picturing like a turkey baster just Mm. forcing it in there and then just coming back out. Yeah, it sounds to me like they were like, like you're saying, like infusing it in and then they would let it come out, infusing it in and then it was coming out. And yeah, they're like, it's working, James. Does it hurt? It's working. Yeah. In the 19th century, a concoction of either, I know I'm going to screw this one up, cubibs, which is a pepper from Indonesia that was crushed into powder or balsam of kabeva, a sap from an American, a South American tree. Mm-hmm. So both of these elixirs tasted terrible. They tended to work though. A quote from an 1874 science journal said, gonorrhea of every kind attended with any inflammatory symptoms is best treated by the antiphlogistic regimen, avoiding every kind of irritation and keeping the body cool by small doses of salts and the urine diluted by the mildest fluids. Hmm. After the inflammatory symptoms have subsided, cubibs or the balsam of cobepa exhibited in the doses of 2.7 to 3.6 grams three times a day will be found effectual. Okay. They had it all laid out. They have like, it figured out, I guess. Do step A, step B, take the cubebs, good to go. So... In more modern times, like 1932, doctors at the University of Rochester, New York, figured out that 99% of gonorrhea was eradicated with two hours of exposure to 106 degrees Fahrenheit. So, of course, a fever cabinet was created. Mm. Mm -hmm. Those afflicted with gonorrhea would be placed in the box with only their heads sticking out for four to six hours, five to six times over three days. They did so, that on that Nurse Ratchet show, didn't they? They did a fever cabinet. I do believe they did. I think so. Or it was a fever bath or something like that. So, uh, I don't know. You know what? It might have been ice water that they put them in. Oh, maybe it was cold. Yeah. This is this is definitely hot. And I okay. would not be able to stand it. I, I would have the worst headache. Ugh. No. Oh, yeah. 106 degrees of anything. At the Mayo Clinic, mercurochrome was given again we're back to mercury mercury mm-hmm. through an iv and used to wash the urethra out others felt that heat needed to be focused on the pelvic area mm-hmm. so heating elements would be inserted into the vagina and or rectum heated to 111 degrees and left for two hours at a time yikes what, what? yeah in 1937 Dees and Colston, Dees, <laughs> um, <laughs> Dees and Colston introduced sulfonamides, 
an early antibiotic that could cure gonorrhea. Many trials took place. Eventually, a standard dose was decided on. After a week on the medicine, most symptoms resolved. And after three weeks, 80% of patients were gonorrhea free. So we finally have like a scientific cure. Right. A few different sulfa-based antibiotics were available in the 40s. But by the late 40s, over 90% of gonorrhea was resistant to the sulfa antibiotics. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Penicillin was also being used for treatment by 1940, but by 1946, four cases of penicillin resistance had been reported. Gonorrhea is a super smart bacteria. It learns how to evolve really fast to no longer be killed by each antibiotic that's used. In 1963, Wilcox used ampicillin to treat patients with gonorrhea. This had a 98% cure rate. However, between 1976 and 1980, gonorrhea was showing increasing resistance to ampicillin. In 1967, Kasanka and Knight introduced cotrimoxazole, which worked great for a hot minute, but gonorrhea began showing resistance by 1972. Another treatment, chlorotetracycline, had been used for treatment-resistant gonorrhea since 1949, but by the mid-1980s, gonorrhea had become tetracycline-resistant. In 1967, spectinomycin had a good cure rate for genital and rectal infections, but not so much for the throat. In 1977, erythromycin emerged as an effective treatment for pregnant women with penicillin allergies. After a while, it was no longer effective. However, it is still used today for newborns. That's what they put in their eyes after they're born to prevent them from getting the gonorrhea infection in their eyes. Oh, I didn't know that. Indeed. You do now. See, you all yeah, I do. something new. All right. In 1989, cephalosporins, such as ceftriaxone, cefixime, and cephalexin, became the first line of treatment. Also, gentamicin started being used. By the late, late 80s, early 90s, norfloxacin and Cipro, once used as alternate cures, were no longer effective. In 1991, as gonorrhea started showing resistance to the cephalosporins, the CDC started recommending dual therapy. So this was the first time that they had said, let's use two different antibiotics at the same time so that hopefully we can confuse these little bastards and get them right. Seven days of cefixime, cipro, or erythromycin, plus one great big dose of azithromycin. By 2015, the CDC guidelines recommended ceftriaxone, 250 milligrams given in a shot in the muscle, plus a gram of azithromycin by mouth. And we were to, you were to do that at the same time get a shot, take this big dose of pills, you're good. However, this changed early last year in 2021. I remember this very clearly. Mm-hmm. When the current guidelines were published from the CDC, now the current treatment is one single shot of 500 milligrams of ceftriaxone. Or if you're allergic to that, a shot of gentamicin plus two grams of azithromycin by mouth. And I suspect it will only be a few years before the guidelines have to be updated again 
because gonorrhea is a motherfucker. Right. It's it's like, oh, let me try something else. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. oh we got it. We got it. Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. it's not nope. so smart. sneaky little creature. Right. Now, I did read about GARDP, which is the Global <laughs> Antibiotics Research and Development Partnership who are in phase three trials right now of an antibiotic that they're calling Zoliflodicin, which is an oral treatment for gonorrhea. And hopefully it'll be a winner because we're kind of running out of options here. Right, right, right. right. Like literally running, like this, this is an emergency. Yeah. If I do so, say so myself. Say so yourself. Yeah. I believe you. One other kind of nerdy, but definitely scary thing about gonorrhea So there is such a thing as disseminated gonococcal infection. And this is when you like seminated. You like that word? I like seminated and gonococcal. (laughs) You like all the words. I like all the words. This is when the bacteria get in the bloodstream and travel. Because remember, these are some traveling little bugs. They go right out the fallopian tubes. Indeed. Or they can just get right in your blood and just take a train because it's a lot faster. I guess it would be a train. It'd be a boat. Right. (laughs) <laughs> I have no Submarine idea. That's some sort. That's the one. Mm-hmm. DGI, the disseminated gonococcal infection, can cause infections in the joints, causing lots of joint pain and muscle pain. It can also infect the heart or the covering of the spine or the brain. Yikes. 75% of people with DGI have skin lesions, and these can be painful or painless. They can be flat or elevated fluid filled or not i mean there's no like characteristic gonococcal lesion they can look mm-hmm. any kind of way and here's a statistic from 1939 to 2014 so it's quite a number of years mm-hmm. there were 70 cases of gonococcal endocarditis which is the heart infection caused by gonorrhea mm-hmm. so so honestly that's not very many if you you know in the big scheme of things right 38 of these were between 1980 and 2014. Mm. 85% of the 70 were between the ages of 15 and 35. Mm -hmm. And only 21 to 27% of them had ever experienced genital symptoms. Jeez. So these people legitimately, you know, three-fourths of them had absolutely no no idea. idea. Right. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm burning, but I'm going to ignore it. And then it's going to become a blood infection. Mm-hmm. It was just like, everything seems fine. Why would I get a test? Boom, it's in your heart. Right. Yeah. DGI is rare. And when it does occur, it's usually in the asymptomatic patients, like I said, with some chronic autoimmune condition, mm. like lupus or HIV. One to 3% of people with gonorrhea will develop DGI. And of these, of that one to three small percentage, one to two percent will get the gonococcal endocarditis. But when they do get it, it's usually fatal because it develops so fast and it takes forever to diagnose because it's so rare. So to wrap up the history of gonorrhea, I have just a few little tidbits of, I don't know if fun's the right word, but a few tidbits. We'll just go with that. Yeah, I like, I like that you said wrap up. <laughs> Please do. That's, yes. That's a good lesson for everyone. <laughs> um, so here's a few relatively famous people who've had the clap. Okay. John Dillinger. 
He okay. was from Indianapolis. He was an outlaw in the early 1900s in the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. He robbed four police stations and over two dozen banks. And he also broke out of jail twice. One thing he couldn't escape was the drip. Oh, he probably got it at La Clapeur. He I don't think that he went to France, but well, but I mean, they probably had something like that in the wild, wild west. We too have rabbit huts. Yes. Tallulah Bankhead was a famous actress in the 20s and 30s. She was gorgeous. She's known for having a pretty wild sex life. Okay. And in 1933, she was hospitalized for terrible abdominal pain diagnosed with gonorrhea and had an emergency hysterectomy yikes damn that's one way to treat yeah golly james boswell was a famous scottish biographer in the late 1700s he caught gonorrhea the first time that he ever had sex and he went on to have the infection at least 19 times in his life which he kept a detailed diary of throughout his life And he even used condoms with all the prostitutes, (laughs) although the condoms were made of animal guts. Oh, yeah. He probably could have been a good like um, trial person where they could say that's that doesn't work. Uh Like, let's use him as an example. Uh, And then finally, Jim Carrey, if you can believe it. Jim Carrey. He is rumored to have given his ex, the late Kathriona White, Mm -hmm. three STDs, including gonorrhea, before her death. There's like, apparently there was a little court thing going on. I will tell you, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it. I just wanted to mention that Jim Carrey had gonorrhea. Well, Jim Carrey, I hope you don't anymore. Wrap it up. Wrap that up. Um, Also, our good old United States So during World War II, the U.S. government warned the GIs about venereal disease, or Mm -hmm. VD as they called it, with posters. So I did see one really exquisite example, Mm -hmm. and it read, she may look clean, but pickups, good time girls, and prostitutes spread syphilis and gonorrhea. You can't beat the axis if you get the VD. Huh. Because if you're burning, you're not going to be able to make that shot. Right. That's crazy. I mean, you could get a shot, but you can't make a shot. Right. Right. Exactly. And then finally, we have um, some state statistics about gonorrhea. Okay. So for 2020, I'll tell you the three states with the least amount of cases. Okay. Can I guess them? Please do. Okay. Oregon. Okay. No, I didn't mean Oregon. Okay. <laughs> Utah. Sure. Utah. Name all three and I'll tell you if you get any of them right. These are okay. the three least. The three least. Utah, um, Vermont, and um, Montana. You got one of three. Oh. Vermont is number 50 on the list. It has only 22 cases per 100,000 people. That's extremely low. That is. Wow. 49 was New Hampshire with 34. 48 was Maine with 39. 
See, I kind of, I thought I should stick with the the northeast, but I'm telling all right, you, that old New England up there, yeah, being all smart, too cold. It is well, no. yeah, which is funny because can you guess the top three states? Um, I'm gonna guess Florida, Alaska, and Texas. Okay. Nope. Um, <laughs> no. None so, of them? Nope. Number uh, three was South Carolina. Oh. Number two is Louisiana. And okay. then number one, drum roll. Yeah. Mis- Mississippi. Huh. And listen to this. So Vermont being number 50 has 22 cases out of 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. Mississippi has 463 for 100,000 people. Wow. That's a very big difference. I wonder why why it's so prevalent down there. I have no idea. All I can say is those are definitely warmer states that I don't know if that has. Yeah, been. that's why I thought Florida because a lot of people vacation and they make, you know, mistakes dumb mistakes or, yeah, down there. That's very true. And um, then I don't know why I said Alaska. I just kind of figured <laughs> it's cold up there too. <laughs> uh, and just for the record, our home state of Ohio is number 11. So we're not doing all that yeah. hot you know we could definitely nope. wrap it up a little more yes so that is my little history lesson on gonorrhea well that was very informative that's a lot of information it is and a lot of information it is but it's 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 good it's good to know and it just is. wrap it up people yeah and i you know if there were one thing that i would uh recommend that the people who do things like this would do not the things like podcasts but the people who are in charge it's kind of like that one gentleman was saying like gonorrhea is seriously a problem we Mm -hmm. need to get the word out we need to make all the people understand Mm -hmm. that it's becoming so resistant like it's there's not going to be a treatment at some point right at some point you get gonorrhea then you're screwed right Right. And if you think about it, like so many people donate to, let's say, like the the cancer society because they're working Uh on a cure for cancer or Mm -hmm. the lupus society. Pretty soon there's going to be a gonorrhea society. Right, right, right. Because they need to try to figure out how to. Yeah. Mississippi better be paying some damn money into that pot to come up with this cure because, yeah, we're just, you know, everybody's getting it everybody's not getting tested before they go out and spread it and then when they do get treated yeah and I would say another big thing is that unfortunately there are still some providers who are not necessarily reproductive health providers yeah so I don't know I Oh, I know for a fact that not all of them are following like the CDC guidelines Uh and they're using outdated um, treatments which mm-hmm. is bad in a lot of ways because number one, the gonorrhea probably isn't going to be killed. So the person's going to keep spreading it. Right. But also it's also adding to the resistance and it's just, you know, it needs to be right. like, I think it needs to be kind of like a national emergence. Well, it, yeah. I, well, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. We're so um, used to what causes a pandemic, you know what I mean? Right. And, and trying to, put that on some sort of scale but I know I know there are people that I know of that have said that they've gone to the ER with some symptoms and they just they just treated me for chlamydia right what if you didn't have chlamydia right 
Did like they, they didn't do you? any testing. Right. No. Right. And it, now it sounds like chlamydia. It sounds like chlamydia. Mm-hmm. Well, I just think, I think that's just so dangerous mm-hmm. and irresponsible because like you said, I'm going to give you a, an antibiotic that might touch part of it, but might not do anything for you. And now you've had this antibiotic and now you still have the infection exactly. or so many people, like you said, just have even the end up with the heart issues, never had any kind of urinary issues. Exactly. And it's just like, so the lesson is the lesson is people mm-hmm. wrap it up and get tested regularly. Exactly. Symptoms or no symptoms. It's always good to know your status. All the time. All the time. It's going to really suck if you go in for some regular routine thing. You haven't had any symptoms. You haven't been seen in a couple of years. And it comes back that you have gonorrhea and chlamydia or one or the other or both of them. And and now you've got to think back, how many people have I been with? And but, where did I get that? Or who? how many did I give it to? Right. And how obviously many the responsible I- thing. Mm -hmm. Right, right, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will. I did forget to share this little tidbit here. Um, So this is a syllabus for a class that was specifically given to African-American soldiers. Um, According to the author of the syllabus, this is a quote. The running range, a.k.a. gonorrhea, is the most dangerous of the three venereal diseases because it can be easily and quickly spread with few symptoms. Then he says, it begins as a little smarting when urine is passed. Finally, pain, swelling, and a discharge that is highly contagious. The, small of, the smallest bit of it in the eye may destroy vision. Jesus. This, right. This is a frequent cause of sore eyes and blindness in babies. Mother, usually a pure good woman, has been unknown to her, infected by her husband, and she in turn infected the baby while passing through the birth canal. Mm. He says, a man that would willfully put out the eyes of an innocent baby is the meanest of criminals, yet that is what a man does who takes clap to the marriage bed. If there is any hell, I think the hottest place in it ought to be reserved for the man who willfully spreads venereal disease. A man with no respect for a pure woman is not fit to live. Wow. That's, he, that's, that's heavy. That's heavy. And I, I say that I, I agree with that. And I think you could put, you know, whether you've got a penis or a vagina in that anybody that uh, willingly spreads uh, diseases like that. Right. And he's making a lot of assumptions though. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, number one, that this man who needs to burn in hell knows he has it. And number right, two, right, right. that he's the one who gave it to her as opposed to her getting it. We're giving it to else. him. Yeah. You know, and which that's is kind of different because we're not used to hearing that. She's exactly. the other way around, but exactly. And we just heard that. I mean, women are the ones who are, you know, we just carry it around waiting to, you know, just to, to destroy it. all men. Right. Yeah. But, yes. um, yeah my how times have changed it right yeah it's the pure woman now well that is so interesting thank you melinda for teaching me so much more about gonorrhea than i already knew you're so welcome i appreciate it always something to be learned even if we know the you know we get the gist of it we know the 
the main points of it. There's always a little something that right. I, I just think is just interesting. So. Yes, very there interesting. Is. Well, thank you. You're welcome. You got anything else today? I don't. Wrap it up, people. Wrap it up. We'll wrap it up, too. All right. Wrap man. it up. The, the condom will fit, just and FYI. No matter how big it is, it will fit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. All right. See you. Uh, talk to you all next week. Yeah. Talk to you all next week. Bye.